Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Austin Booth is the director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. He is the youngest director in the history of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. He's 35 years old. He currently is also the youngest state director in the entire U.S. in charge of game and fish resources in any particular state. He and his team have put forth an audacious, dare I say, ballsy conservation project, conservation idea. And it's tied to the thing that the state is known for the most, waterfowl, ducks, duck hunting. And he wants to save duck hunting. Not for the short term, but for the long term. And to do that, it requires some very hard decision making. The guy's a Marine, a former Marine, now the director of the State and Fish Commission, and the youngest to do it. So why not do something as impressive as what you're about to hear? Okay, so there's this phrase that we as hunters use all the time. And it's a tester question for you, because I want to see what you, what you think about this. 
that hunting is conservation. Is that true or is that false? That's true. Are you sure? I'm very sure. Okay. I'm going to push a little bit because I've thought about this a lot. And I will take the position that if you're not hunting an invasive, the action of hunting is not truly direct conservation. Okay. Can I respond to that? That's why you're on this podcast. (laughs) It certainly can be. It certainly can be conservation, but as someone that is the director of a a state fish and wildlife agency that's not a biologist and that has approached this position as a lifelong uh, constituent of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, ensuring that hunting is conservation is one of the exact reasons why I I pursued this position. I say that hunting can be conservation because it can also be just mere consumption, uh, mere recreation. And I think that is the single generational challenge for outdoorsmen Mm -hmm. in our, in our, our generation. Not sure how old you are, Robbie. Um, I got gray in my beard, so I'm old enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but to, to help, instill and inculcate in in the next generation of outdoorsmen what the difference between consumption and sportsmanship is mm-hmm. what the difference between recreation and conservation is um i think even more so than recruiting that next generation but instilling them with the right mindset the right approach i i know there's lots of people that don't like this word but the right ethic on how to approach the outdoors makes all the difference Mm -hmm. i like to use the word ethos because ethic you're right ethic is i use ethic in the wrong context all the time because the you know from a a philosophical argumentative perspective ethics is tied to something completely different versus preference right a lot of people use ethics in the same where they should be using preference but i like ethos this ethos of people going out and the respect that you should be showing wildlife, the responsibility that you carry on your shoulders when you undertake this lifestyle that is hunting, the the responsibility that you have in today's day and age from a social media perspective on how you portray who you are. That's right. Can, can I can I can I just share an example of the exact thing that we're talking about here? Before you share your example, let's introduce you because okay. you know, people are going like, Robbie, come on, man. You do this all the time. You just start waffling with, with people and you don't even give them an opportunity to introduce <laughs> themselves. So, Director Booth, uh, Austin, please introduce yourself. I am Austin Booth. I'm the 19th director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. I started this job on July 1st. Um, it's been a whirlwind and uh, one of the best times that I've ever had. Since then, um, I grew up in very rural Arkansas, uh, grew up hunting and fishing uh, with a very strong conservation ethos and um, left my home state for 15 years to attend college and serve in the United States Marine Corps and returned home about two years ago and um, did not have my sights set on this job when I moved back, but when the opportunity 
came open, I, I fought tooth and nail for it. Mm-hmm. No, and it's an, an incredible, valuable job in terms of the weight that you have on your shoulders. Remember, as a professor, I used to tell the kids that are coming through the uh, wildlife fisheries department at Mississippi State that I take my job super seriously because you guys are going to be the ones that are stewarding my resources for my kids and my grandkids one day. Yeah. And uh, that's why I know I knew all their names and I knew why they were le- when they were late and I called them out because I took it very seriously. And somebody that's in your position, you know, yes, you're you're, you're entrusted with the the management of the resources of the state of Arkansas for the citizens of the state of Arkansas, but you're also entrusted with those resources for my kids living here in Mississippi, because we're going to buy duck stamps. We're going to buy licenses in Arkansas and we're going to come and hunt. Um, and um, yeah, so I appreciate people like you being in the position you are and being as thoughtful as you, as, as we know you are and, and we'll show through this podcast um, in that position. And lastly, before I let you get to your example, thank you for your service. And, you know, me being an American citizen today, I wasn't able to do what you did for this country, but I'm reaping the rewards because of people like you, that I'm a citizen and I'm able to raise my boys in an environment that they would not have gotten being raised in South Africa. So, Well, that, uh, that means a lot to me. I served voluntarily and I would do it again in an absolute heartbeat uh, people say thank you for your service, and I'm always grateful f- for that. But in many ways, I feel like I benefited from it more than anybody, and so I'm immensely grateful for the opportunity to do that. So, returning back, your example of ethos. So, Arkansas is known for many things. Um, one of those is for excellent duck hunting, and if I can be so bold as to say world-class duck hunting. I'm comfortable with that because we have people yep, that come all, all over the world to duck on here. And sure, ducks eat rice and, and they eat grains, they eat millet, all all kinds of stuff. But what really put, put Arkansas on the duck hunting map was our green tree reservoirs. They're bottomland hardwoods. Mm-hmm. They naturally hold water. And the ducks use, use those bottomland hardwoods not only for cover, uh, but for the just caloric rent, uh, rich environment that comes from the acorns, from the red oaks, and also from uh, what we call leaf litter and all the invertebrates in the forest floor. Well, after years of not fully understanding red oak dormancy, uh, red oak uh, growing season, years of putting water on and holding water on for too long, we've seen a heartbreaking uh, decline in right. oak health. That's right. So we made some very difficult decisions this year uh, that will impact the duck season for this year. And uh, we don't have to get into all of that, but basically we're going to manage the water to a lower level that will benefit the the timber resource, um, ultimately benefit waterfowlers, but in in the short term will reduce the public opportunity to hunt there. So awesome. That's probably one of, and let's just just run along this tangent for a second about ducks in Arkansas is a very specific example. Talk to some of the thought processes that you have had to have in terms of engaging the public with this idea of short-term versus long-term, right? And short-term losses for long-term gains. Hey, guys, we're not making decisions today 
for your duck hunting season in 2022. We're making your just we're making decisions today for duck hunting for your kids and your grandkids in 15 years. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. And you know, uh, from that question alone, it makes me question whether you've been at some of these public meetings because that's been exactly how I framed it. One of the challenges is with trees. Uh, they take a long time to grow and they take a long term, a very long time to show symptoms of bad health. Mm -hmm. And once they become kind of symptomatic, if you don't do something quickly, then you're probably too late. Mm -hmm. um, and as we talk about this timber, uh, the forest health, the way that I've been articulating it is that I'm 35 years old. I was able to hunt these places, this public land as a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we estimate that the average age of our public land waterfowler is between the ages of 22 and 25. Really? really That's amazing. Bad. Yeah. That is staggering. What a statistic. Yeah. And that makes the narrative easier because at every single one of, of, of these public meetings, I get up there and I say that I'm the youngest director in Arkansas game and fish history. Because I was about to say, you could be the youngest director, period. Have yes, you looked at that statistic uh, across all states? Yep. I'm, I'm the youngest one in the country. And um, I ask the crowd, I say, this is an opportunity, Robbie, for my generation of waterfowlers to decide what our legacy is going to be. Mm -hmm. Do we want... Do we want to sit our, our grandkids on our knees and tell them what it was like to hunt Biomita uh, Wildlife Management Area or Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area? Or do we want to listen to them tell us what it's like because of what we did? Hell yes. And creepers, creepers. Yeah. And, and, and um, when I lay that out there, I say, I'm not asking you to like this. But I am asking you to make a decision about whether you're a consumer or whether you're a sportsman and think about what the difference is between those two. And what, the example that I was getting to is we've done four of these meetings. We did the we we did the final one just last night. And most of the people that came to the meeting, Robbie, were private landowners. Now, you think about that and you're like, why? Would a private landowner come to this meeting? These are our changes to the public wildlife management areas. And the reason for it is an ethos of conservation. Because when you're personally invested like these private landowners are, you're by definition doing it because you're invested in the resource. And that nexus between the long-term health of the resource and your personal and investment all comes back to having an ethos of conservation. No, it's, it's incredible to hear you say what you're saying. And the reason I responded, hell yes, is because that is the thought pattern and the thought process that we need to have. And investing in, in getting that age group, the 22 to 25, to think that way is obviously very challenging. Um, but if they can just see it, you know, because if you remember when you were 22 or 25, and to me, when I was a 22 to 25-year-old, I didn't hunt. I started hunting when I was 26 mm -hmm. here in Mississippi. And I went through that sort of 
evolution that I guess a, a 22 or 25 year old is in very quickly in that you're having a lot of fun. You are pretty much a non-existent sportsman. You're a non-existent conservationist. Let's be honest, right? Youth, you know, you're going to, you're going to do all the stupid things. You're going to stick duck bills in your mouth. You're going to stick duck bills in your shotgun, end of your shotgun. That's what you're seeing on social media. It's just, it's just, what we used to do, we just didn't have social media. Right. It's dumb stuff. I don't want to swear on this podcast, but they're doing dumb stuff. And if if just a, a grain of seed, um, and and honestly, the other, the other, I guess, if you think about it a little bit, the 22 and 25-year-olds aren't the ones attending public meetings. The 22 and 25-year-olds are the ones not causing a stir from a public comment perspective. So... I guess the older crowd, the 35-year-olds, like, you know, your age, my age, I'm 42, 43, um, that age class that has kids in the younger age class, I would have expected, and what did you get from a public comment perspective, I would have expected probably more positive than negative. No, you're absolutely right. We we do have a very strong contingent of 18 to 25 year olds that have come to these public meetings. Amazing. Uh, That's awesome to hear. It is, but they typically sit back and don't say anything. They, they, they typically have not asked a whole lot of questions, um, which I'm comfortable with because if you want, we can get into the format of these meetings, but this is not, a traditional yeah let's get call. into the format is it are they allowed to stand up do they have the microphone for three minutes kind of deal yeah <laughs> no no um so i have so much confidence in our staff in the talented staff that that we have here i mean i when when i talk to other directors in other states and they know our staff by name uh says it, something it really says something and and so i try to think outside of the box with these public meetings and not do this typical dramatic town hall where you've got people on a stage and an open mic. I wanted to build the whole thing around building dialogue with our staff. And the way that we structured them is uh, I kick the meeting off. I talk about at a very high level what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the long-term plan is. And then we break. And I um, have... All the agency staff wear this exact shirt that I'm wearing right now, a white Arkansas Gay and Fish Commission shirt. And I will go through the room and I will introduce each individual staff member. And I say, this is what the staff member does. If you have questions about this, this is what this person covers. And then move on to the next one. We have maps everywhere. And then right before we break, I asked the question of the staff. I said, raise your hand. If you exclusively duck hunt on public land and every single one of them raise their hand and, and then we break and there's no stage and we intentionally selected venues where we could put on aprons and cook for people, literally break bread with them or where they serve food there anyways. And so we're trying to ratchet down kind of the dramatism behind these meetings. We're literally trying to break bread with them and have a legitimate, mature dialogue about the long-term challenge and the long-term solutions. So then we we break for about 45 minutes to an hour and just let those conversations organically 
happen. And then um, I will bring us back to order, run through a few closing thoughts, and then ask the question at the very end, is there anybody that's going to walk through the door tonight and go home without having their questions answered? And if there's questions, then I'll answer them. Um, and if there's not, then we'll go home. And at every one of these public meetings, I've uh, deliberately pulled myself away and gone to a corner of the room just to observe. And at every public meeting, the, the same thing happens. I look over across the room and there's talented men and women wearing these white shirts that have given their professional careers to professional conservation. And they're each having their own conversations with groups of one to five people and everybody's nodding their heads. And uh, the feedback we've gotten from that has been absolutely fantastic. We haven't had one person yelling, one person hollering. Uh, everybody said, we don't like this, but we get it. And thank you for doing this. So you're certainly, you know, upsetting the apple cart here, Austin. Um, that's not how public meetings are supposed to run. You're supposed to give everyone their three minutes at the mic and they're supposed to yell down the mic at you and you're supposed to nod at your table and everyone's sitting behind and you're supposed to take notes and say we acknowledge you and thank you so much for your time being here. Um, I love your out-of-the-box approach. I love challenging status quo. I love people being in the mix, you know, that it's almost like a roundtable discussion in front of a map if it needs to be. And right. you've got the experts in the room that are, as you said, care for the resource as much as you. Um, and I think what's what's amazing about this is, and a lot of people wouldn't know this if you're not in the game. And when I say the game, I mean politics. A lot of people would know that a position like yours is is quite political in terms of appointments, in terms of direction, in terms of all sorts of stuff, right? And and, and the, the, the commission that, that, um, that you lead is also appointed by the governor. But what you just articulated to me did not sound political. Yeah. Which is nice to hear. It is nice. And you bring up politics and that's relevant for two reasons. One, because uh, when I was still in the Marine Corps, I had the opportunity to work on Capitol Hill for three years. Um, and we don't have to go into all of that. It's a really uh, coveted position. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to work on active duty and represent the Marine Corps on the Hill. And uh, just being that close to it, I got to see a lot of the town halls that uh, elected officials would do in their districts. And a lot of them were very, very counterproductive. And we would show... It's a checkbox exercise. It's a box checking exercise. And oftentimes we would get concerned, sincere constituents that would come to town halls to get their questions answered. And they would leave without getting their questions answered because of a handful of people that really didn't want their questions answered. They, they just wanted the opportunity to yell. Mm -hmm. And so... I wanted us to very to very deliberately go away from that. Mm -hmm. The other reason that politics uh, and that you bring that up is uh, humorous is that at three of the four public meetings, I've been asked the question, you know, someone kind of pulls me aside and, and they like think they're going to ask me this like dirty secret question. And they're like, you're 35 years old. How did you get this job? And, <laughs> 
I always say back to them, I'm like, you really want to know? They're like, well, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll tell you. It's like I read in the newspaper where the director was retiring and they said they were going to hire this headhunter. So I Googled the headhunter and I emailed him my cover letter and my resume. <laughs> and and, and like, really? So you didn't know the commissioners? Nope. Didn't know a single one of them. That's an awesome story. That's an awesome story. All right. So give me the details of these proposed changes that you're making. And are they going into effect this year? Like, are we going to see changes in the water uh, drawdown structure for the 21-22 duck season? Or what's the details? Give us some details. Yeah. So it does not impact all of our green tree reservoirs, what you'll hear me call GTRs. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does impact two of our most popular ones. We, we made the announcement, I think, September 3rd, and it weighed heavily on us that we were doing that less than 90 days before duck season. Uh, but we believed that the health of the timber resource had gotten to a point where we were at a, we were at a point where if we didn't do it, we, we could go off the cliff. So basically what we're doing, kind of the, the highest level view, we are managing water levels to a lower level in order to replicate more natural flooding models to allow three things, to arrest the decline in timber health, to undertake aggressive forest management going forward, and to modernize our infrastructure on the ground to, in the long term, give us more control over the water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to have a problem in, in in the 50s when we put this infrastructure in place. We used to have a problem holding water. Yeah, that's not that's not the problem anymore. Right. Uh, we have a problem getting the water off. Mm. Um, and and so by making these adjustments, the way that we're doing it, even though those are are dormant season water levels, it will help us immensely to undertake forest management and to get the water off during the growing season which when it's the most harmful to hold water. So again, let's give me some more details to the, the water holding and how is that going to impact duck hunting? Yeah. So I'll take one of the wildlife management areas we have called Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area. Uh, we basically have a creek that runs through the wildlife management area. Uh, we've got a levee around the southern portion of the wildlife management area, and then we have a big water control structure in the middle of it on the creek. And the way that we flood it is we just close the gates on the water control structure. The creek keeps flowing. As it runs up against the water control structure, the water levels rise. And when will you typically close that structure? November 15th. Okay. So what we're doing is we're going into that levee on the southern portion of it, um, and we're going to remove large portions of that levee. And, and then we're going to leave that water control structure open. Um, now, your first... Oh, stop, 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 stop. So you're not controlling any water. That's correct. But here's what makes us comfortable with that decision, Robbie, is that... The creek that runs through the wildlife management area uh, runs off of the White River. Okay. And every single year, we know that that river gets high enough where even with everything open, 
it's going to flood the wildlife management area. Okay. So what we're telling people with, with both GTRs is that we're not draining these things dry. We're trying to replicate a more natural model of flooding that will reduce the public opportunity and make it less predictable, but that we know will flood. So that is going to happen this year? Yes. Yes. And the other wildlife management area um, is the largest green tree reservoir in the world. Biomeda. Biomeda, that's right. Um, and you can really tell your connection to Arkansas Outdoors when you find somebody that can pronounce it correctly because it is not pronounced like it's written. Um, <laughs> Too and, many tales of uh, I've heard from many people and I've watched yeah. a number of, I think it was the Yeti film on Biomeda that just... Yeah. You know, it's just this this lore about it, and uh, we actually produced a film on Biomeda, okay. um, on woman duck hunting. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's an amazing place. Well, the reason Biomeda floods is because it's a thirty three thousand acre wildlife management area that's fed by a seven hundred and fifty thousand acre watershed. Uh, the way I've been explaining that is, it's like filling a twelve ounce uh, beer can with a five gallon bucket. It doesn't take a whole lot of water from the five-gallon bucket to fill that thing full. And, right. And even still, we get people that think that we pump by a meter with water. We don't pump there. Mm -hmm. So we can control the water level uh, based on one water one water control structure. Um, and we we have traditionally managed that to about 180 feet mean sea level. And we're going to lower it. We're going to manage it down one foot to 179 feet mean sea level. Um, and that one foot difference will reduce the public opportunity by 25%. 25% of 33,000 acres. Yes. Um, but again, Robbie, that's a baseline level. Mm -hmm. So we know that it'll stay at 179 feet MSL if we get zero inches of, of rain during duck season mm -hmm. and we know that's not going to happen. So as that 750,000 acre watershed fills up with water and drains into Biomeda, then the public opportunity is going to pulse up with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it'll, it'll, it'll come back down. And that pulsing up, that pulsing down is, is what we call sheet flow. And uh, that's much more similar to how Mother Nature intended uh, natural flooding to look. You talk about your staff underneath you being good. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a scientist. Wetland ecology is my, that's my thing. It's what I, when I was 16 years old, I visited a swamp in the Okavango Delta in Botswana, fell in love with swamps. And that's what I did for the rest of my career. I still do it today. And it's rare for a politician to talk science the way that you talk science. And, uh, I can only accredit that kudos, not knowing that you're not a scientist, um, to the staff underneath you that have um, appropriately educated you in what things are happening, you know, biogeochemically, physically, hydraulically. Um, let me ask this, this 25% number, I, I almost am shocked by it in that I would have expected it to be higher. Well, that's very insightful, Robbie. Um, the ideal elevation for us to manage water to is 178.5 um, because everything we do 
everything we always contemplate the public impact of. Of course. We said Because without our, the public, without the hunters, going back to the original thing we started with this conversation. That's right. That's right. We identified 178 from a forest management perspective to be the ideal elevation. Well, when we ran the LIDAR data on what that would look like from a from a a public access perspective, we learned that two of our most common access points, our boat launches, would not have water. So we said, all right, for the 21-22 season, we'll go to 179, make sure there's public access there. And then in the spring of 22, we'll Build make boat ramps. Yes, we'll make improvements to those accesses. And then next year in the 22-23 season, then we'll go to 178.5. And that six inch difference between 178.5 and 179 will reduce it another 25%. That's about right. That's about right. Let me ask this very simple question. Who's paying for the boat ramps to be improved? Well, the short answer is the agency is. But the more complicated question is uh sportsmen are sportsmen sportsmen through pr dollars and then the amazing amendment 75 that you have in the state of arkansas she's right. you're lucky to have freaking amendment 75 and that's also out of the box thinking yes we are we got amendment 75 in 1996 and uh amendment 75 says that there is a conservation sales tax it's a constitutional amendment so it's not appropriated in the federal sense, uh, the conservation sales tax takes one eighth of, of one cent uh, for all the sales tax revenue. And of that conservation sales tax, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission receives uh, 45% of that. It's amazing. Do you know if any other states have done something like that? I just have never heard of any other state doing that, especially, and look, you guys did it in 96. It's not like you mm -hmm. did it in 2016. Right. Um, not constitutionally like that. Um, I, I know Texas has their own version, I believe, of PNR. Mm -hmm. um, and then Missouri. Missouri is the only other state that has mm -hmm. a conservation sales tax. We certainly count our blessings, but we, we wish we were like Missouri because they get 100% of, of that revenue. And Where does the other 65, 55% go in Arkansas? It goes to our parks, heritage, and tourism efforts. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So just for um, – because now that obviously we completely tangent we, – we tangented exactly what we actually wanted to talk about in this podcast, but I really love what we, what we did talk about. Um, and so that means I'm going to drop this sooner uh, because duck season is around the corner. Sure. So those guys that are going to listen to this podcast that um, – are planning on heading to Arkansas. They're planning on hunting the the famous biometer and, and maybe Hurricane Lake. Um, what should they expect? Well, they should definitely keep a closer eye on where it's raining in the state and what watershed that's in where it's going to go. If I'm an out-of-state hunter and I want to look at hunting biometer first, I would check the regs, make sure that those dates are permissible dates for out-of-state hunters. Two, I would go to agfc.com slash GTR. We have a website there that we've created in light of this announcement 
where we have links to all of our water gauges where they can see what the water levels are at these wildlife management areas. And then a lot of people have this love affair with uh, GTR hunting. I grew up hunting public GTR, so I get that. But we have many other public duck hunting opportunities in the state. So if they want to come to Arkansas to duck hunt, water levels on, on public GTRs aren't going to be supportive, then they can either look at these other public duck hunting opportunities or they can hire the services of a guide. Yeah, hire some outfitters, man. Generate some, especially from a, from coming out of COVID, these guys have been hit hard. They haven't had any business. Um, and you can almost be guaranteed an amazing duck hunt. With That's them. right. Are your guys, we talked about the water control structures at the bottom of Biomine and Hurricane Lake, but there are levees tied in with those water control structures, correct? Many levees, yes. How are you guys, are you actively right now, are the guys out there right now with construction backhoes dropping levee heights, or are you just purely going water control structure to to change those water levels? Well, um, somebody with your pedigree, I know that you understand and respect this, but one of the ways that I'm committed to serving the public on is that we're only going to make a decision that impacts the public if we have the data to support it. And uh, we have undertaken just a amazingly thorough and robust level of hydrology analysis before we start ripping stuff out. Uh, we have the hydrology to the hydrology studies to support that at Hurricane Lake. And so we started uh, removing portions of that Southern levee in July. We're on budget and ahead of schedule. We have not started doing that at Biomeda because although we think we know where we're going, mm -hmm. when it comes to a resource this important to the state, uh, to the flyway, uh, to individuals all throughout the state. The flyway, that's yeah. the, you talk about pressure. Yeah, we're, 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 we are we are not going to rip anything out until we have the data to support it. And that's why we didn't make decisions on other green tree reservoirs for this duck season. I think you just telling, you just saying that the flyway. And yeah, I talked about, you know, you, you've got, you've got pressure on your shoulders for my kids coming over to Arkansas and hunt. Yeah. But this is a ballsy conservation move. Hey, this is, this is nothing, this is not like, hey, we're going to change a boat ramp. Hey, we're going to change a, a bag limit. Hey, we're going to change a season. This is not that we haven't emphasized it the entire time we've been talking, but this is unprecedented. It, it really is, Robbie. And I would say three things in response to that. The first is that um, we obviously need to think about the the GTR resource and how important that is to the state. But if you look at Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area, I think is 11,000 acres, a much bigger GTR um, called Black River Wildlife Management Area. We'll be having similar conversations like this next year. You know, by me, it's 33,000 acres of bottom on hardwoods. You start talking about that kind of scale. There are meaningful implications to the flyway. Mm -hmm. And um, in the short term, you know, the short term component of the long term, um, it will have changes to the flyway if we lose 
50,000 acres of habitat. 100%. 100%. And so from that- And habitat's key, right? That's the thing everyone forgets. You talk about wildlife, any wildlife. What is the priority element for successful wildlife conservation? Yeah. And and the impact of the flyway is long-term, but it's on the shorter term of it. The- just to bring this back to conservation, you know, my vision for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, I, our staff here and our commissioners are probably about to choke me because they're sick and tired of hearing it, is what I call common man, common woman conservation. And it, and it has to do with reconciling the gap between uh, harvesting and conservation. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, uh, our mission is to conserve fish, wildlife, their habitat, and, and bring that to the public. But when it comes to decisions like this, I say what we're really conserving is the outdoor character of our state. Because if we lose the GTRs, we lose that kind of continental resource, and we lose the flyway, then we're really changing who we are as Arkansans. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing that I would say to that is uh, people really get it that every tree that falls down dead is another reason for ducks just not to come to Arkansas. Yep, 100%. Uh, and, at, you know, we can talk about these long-term challenges. Uh, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers and, and how they manage our river levels that impact our GTRs. We can talk about uh, increased rainfall, but I'm convinced, and this is receptive to a whole lot of people, that this is about accountability from a government agency. Mm-hmm. And um, Arkansans, at the end of the day, expect us to control the things that we can control. And we can fight like hell on the things that are harder for us to control, those longer-term challenges. But right now, when we have trees falling down, Arkansans expect us to control the things that we can control. Right. So we can use words like ballsy, like, you know, generational impact, impacting the flyaway. But at the end of the day, this is about accountability and what are we going to do with the the cards that we've been dealt. Mm -hmm. Well, Austin – I can't thank you enough, man. It's an impressive, impressive conversation. Uh, I'm blown away by your science uh, knowledge. Um, and uh, I, uh, I have this dream, I have this vision after this conversation that we should put headsets on ourselves and walk through one of these areas that is not flooded anymore and have a podcast in the field um, because uh, – no, I think people are going to really enjoy this. And I think people will get a better sense of obviously who you are and, and give a little bit of a, a personal touch to the guy at the top. Um, but also what it means to you and what it means to the state of Arkansas. So I know the state of Arkansas's resources are in good hands with you. And um, I look forward to meeting you one day. Maybe we can shake a hand and shoot a gun and do whatever we need to do together. I'd love to blow a duck hole with you, Robbie. Oh, I can't blow a duck hole. I'll tell you that. I'll. That is one thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy, right? That guy that there's six guys in a duck blind. Five of them are really good. One guy sucks. I'm the guy that sucks, and I'm never going to blow a hole. Well, you're the guy we make cook.
Oh, jeez. Okay. Okay. I'll cook. I'll cook. All right, my man. All right, Robbie. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.